And that's right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Untitled Jeff Buck Podcast. The first time I'm coming to you from Portland, Oregon. Actually, not quite Port- Portland, Oregon, because I'm here uh, in Vancouver, Washington, at the home of somebody who I'd never met before today. Uh, it's Justin Bukowski. Justin, how are you? I'm great. Thanks, Jeff. Hello, everybody. Yeah, so Justin had no idea 24 hours ago at this time that he would be doing this or that I'd be sitting in his house watching the race. But uh, as I was driving um, cross country to Portland where I'm moving, uh, or I guess I have moved uh, by the time you hear this, perhaps, um, I thought, you know, it'd be nice to not do the post-race podcast totally by myself and um, Justin uh, became a patron of mine. We've been talking a little bit online the last couple months started texting a little bit after he found out I was moving uh, to Oregon and so uh, I invited myself over to your house and you were gracious enough to let me come is that weird not at all I mean honestly uh, I've been living up in so I grew up in North Carolina but I've been living up here now for I don't know 15 16 years and I've never had anybody come over to my house and watch NASCAR it's not a thing here so to be honest it was it was better for me than it was for you in a lot of ways (laughs) Well, uh, unfortunately, it wasn't so great for you, first of all, because let's just talk about you are a Dale Jr. fan, and it was a tough day for you, I, I, I felt for you. Um, you had the scanner pulled up on your NASCAR race view here. We had that going, as well as the Fox broadcast, and in between all our snacks, you were listening to Dale Jr. talk, and you were watching his lap times, and then huge disappointment. What happened? Yeah, I mean, it's a tough one. Um, I feel for Dale a lot. I mean, I feel uh, like he's really pressing right now, and he, he's got a, the weight of the world on his shoulders. I mean, a lot of responsibility. He feels it towards his fans, and I think we appreciate that about him, that like we really feel like he cares about us. And hopefully he'll shake this off. Um, it's embarrassing, I think, for him to make a mistake like that when he's been driving for as long as he has and as skilled and accomplished as he is. Um, the flip side of that is, is I also f- really had the, the feeling like I wish he would maybe just relax a little bit because it feels like he's pushing too hard for us. And I would much rather have, um, you know, seen him run 20th than, you know, uh, come out of the race like that. So it was, a, it was a tough day. I, I, I saw some other tweets from other junior nation fans and, you know, uh, at the end of the day, I'm, I, my approach to this last season for him is, is along the lines of, I'm just you know, I, I feel privileged that I get the opportunity to see him race again for a few more years or, you know, for a few more races. And, uh, I don't really care what happens at this point. Right. I want to see him healthy. And I, I think I joked to you a couple of times that, you know, with all the, the brake issues that other Chevy cars had right after that, that I'm kind of glad that he blew the engine up and didn't end up in the wall with the broken brakes. Yeah, no, I mean that, that was a good point. And in fact, as soon as Jimmy, crashed uh you were making that point and then um casey canes en- ends up crashing with potentially a similar problem although we never really heard definitively i think on the broadcast whether it was a tire thing or a brake thing but i think he said brakes on the radio and you have to wonder if maybe if um chip ganassi racing and jamie mcmurray are running the same stuff because um they do have somewhat of an alliance with hendrick i mean they 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 run hendrick engines at least and um so yeah i mean uh, it's worth it's worth thinking about um, whether that that was involved and, and maybe perhaps Junior's mistake saved him from uh, something that would have been a, m- a much worse day. So um, obviously there's there's a lot to dwell on there for Junior fans, but I think maybe um, some of them who who continue to watch the race may have felt heartened by the fact that Ryan Blaney, 
who is Dale Jr.'s neighbor and somebody who Jr.'s been a supporter of after they got their issues ironed out uh, earlier this year, ends up winning um, the race, his first career race, did it in fine fashion because not only did he not have his radio all day because uh, his helmet mic wasn't working, then he has these has to uh, hold off or get around Kyle Busch on this crazy aggressive restart Kyle Busch was like running him all the way down to the apron twice and we were both on your couch going whoa oh my gosh you know this is crazy and then he finally he races him clean to his credit gets around Kyle Busch and then he has Harvick to deal with and you were watching lap times again and saying wow Harvick's coming and it really did look like Harvick had the better car and was going to be able to pass him despite what we thought was an engine problem problem similar to Junior and then Blaine just drove flawlessly and was able to hold him off in those final laps. Were you happy to see him go to victory lane? I was actually. Um, and what a, I mean, for Ryan Blaney, there couldn't be a better time for him to actually win a race. So if you think about it this past week, Dale jr. Put out on his podcast that here, here's 10 drivers you might want to follow. And there were some, you know, a lot of people that listened to that and were, you know, not quite sure maybe who they wanted to be their next driver pretty good timing for Ryan Blaney to, to get a win after something like that went down. Um, you know, it was really interesting for me because when that restart lined up, I looked at the, you know, the lineup and the tires and what lap times I'd been seeing. And I said, you know what? I think Blaney, I, whoever's in fourth is going to win this race. And at first I thought it was Truex, but then it was Blaney beat him off a of pit road. But I, man, I was sweating whether that like prognostication was actually going to come true because Harvick was all over him and he had the better car, no question about it. But what for me, what was really special about that and exciting about that was how calm and collected that Blaney was to finish that race. I will uh, juxtapose that against another driver, Kyle Larson, for instance, who's got tremendous amount of talent, but doesn't win that, those those races in those situations because he doesn't keep the car underneath of him like Ryan, Ryan Blaney did. So to me, that was hyper impressive. Yeah, you know what? Honestly, that's a fair point and a fair criticism of Kyle Larson. I think, you know, a lot of people have, have looked at those situations, and I would probably say the same, that if Kyle Larson was in that situation, maybe he would have tried to do too much. I mean, he's obviously extremely talented, um, but Kyle Larson in those situations um, has given away some. And Ryan Blaney, I thought, was going to, you know, do the same thing, honestly. I mean, young guy, had to be nervous going for his first win. You have Harvick behind you right on your bumper. Surely he's going to mess up, and he didn't. But I, I do have to give you credit, Justin, because from the moment that happened, um, from the moment that that the restart order was evident, I mean, you said Blaney's got this, Blaney's got this, because um, Keselowski had stayed out and was on slightly older tires, I think 17 laps. Um, and Oh, not, not 17 laps, you're correcting me. Yeah, no, uh, Kyle Busch had 16, 17 laps on his tires. But remember, Kazalowski had tried to stay out and catch that caution. And that caution came out at one lap after he had made his pit stop. So he was only on a, on a couple of laps tires. You know, heat cycles and all that other stuff. But um, when I looked at it, I was like, yeah, I mean. The because Eric Jones had two tires. And so Blaney was the first guy with four. That's right. And also, I think in these races nowadays, whoever is in fourth is in a better spot frankly, right? You just have a better capability to launch on the restarts. If you, if you watch really closely on a lot of these situations in, in the recent past, it's the guy in fourth who has, he's kind of in the catbird seat. Third is kind of bottled up on, you know, on the inside line. And with fourth, you've just got a lot more room to move. You can go up, you can go down, 
you know, get around the outside, whatever it is. So, you know, I, I really felt confident that Blaney was going to do it, but I just, I have no idea where that speed came from, from Harvick at the end. He wasn't showing that throughout the race. Well, I think, you know, you talk about fourth being a good place to be on the restart. I think it depends on who maybe the drivers are on the front row with the older tires, because in this situation, you know, we've seen, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, some like scrub guys stay out or, or, you know, mid pack guys stay out on fuel strategy. They're they're gambling. They're on older tires. They can't seem to get going on the restart. And then if you're on the second row, sometimes you can get bottled up behind these guys and they're like, no, but in this case, you know, the, the guys that, um, there was some pretty good restarters on the front row, Keselowski and Kyle Busch. So restarts, no question. Right. I mean, he's probably the best that's ever been in NASCAR and restarts. So even though, um, he was on older tires and stayed out, you still knew he was probably going to get a good restart. And that definitely helped. That had to help Blaney. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think if it's five laps to go, maybe Kyle Busch wins that race, right? But I, I, my feeling was we're just too many laps on such a big racetrack to hold it up. And, you know, we were watching throughout the race, and sometimes new tires were two and a half seconds a lap faster. So there were just too many laps for, for them to stay out. I honestly, you know, I don't know why they made that decision. It was definitely the wrong call. And, and I, you know, you made the point that you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't when you're the leader, right? You can, you know, people do the opposite. But I just felt like worst case, Kyle would have come out fifth off of pit row and fourth one. Fifth could have, when you, especially when you have the dominant car. And, and you, you heard me stomping up and down saying you had the best car all day long. Why aren't you going to pit road for tires? You're giving your race away. Yeah, you were practically jumping up and down saying, what are you doing? And it's not like you were, you're a Kyle fan necessarily, but you were just from a strategy standpoint looking at it and saying, well, there's way too many laps left. And I think that's true. You know, he had an interim crew chief today after the, the wheel penalty got his uh, crew chief and tire changer and tire carrier suspended for four weeks. Um, you know, it's it's tough, though. Like you said, if there was maybe five laps to go, you do that. I understand what, what Kyle's team was thinking because they're probably like, look, track position means a ton here. And if we get buried back in 10th, even if we have fresh tires, um, we're not going to be able to get back up through there. But common sense would say maybe that there's not going to be that many people stay out and you're going to be able to get around them as soon as things sort out on the restart. But two and a half seconds a lap, Jeff. I mean, we were watching it throughout the race. And worse. Well, you were. I have to give you cut. You were the one that was looking at the lap times. You, you were a little busy with your email. But um, yeah, so I mean, you know, at worst case, we were seeing a second and a half a lap. And that's, I, I don't remember how many laps were left, but it was a lot, like 10, 15 laps, maybe more than that, 20 laps, something like that. So that's a lot of seconds per lap on a place that's that big and that's why, that wide. Uh, I, I didn't get it. And as a matter of fact, I was listening to scanners from some other teams. They didn't get it either. So I, I'm not sure what that thing is. I don't want to dump all over a, you know, a, an interim crew chief or anything else, but I kind of feel like my opinion is you've got probably the best talented driver in the field. Um, you had the best car all day long. Why put yourself at a disadvantage like that? Go get some tires. And, you know, I'll tell you this, if it was Dale Earnhardt senior, he would have gone down and got four tires and raced the way to the win. I mean, that's my opinion. You know, it's interesting. I, you've <laughs> the frustration has got to be building at this point for Kyle Busch because um, not that not that a lot of people listening to this mind seeing him frustrated, but um, he's never won a Cup points race at Charlotte and Pocono. Those are the only two places, and obviously he's come close um, twice now because obviously in the six hundred he had his moment where nothing surprises me. Congratulations. And, um, now at Pocono, it looked like he was going to be in pretty decent position. It doesn't turn out that way. Raced really, really hard, did obviously everything he could. 
to try to keep Blaney behind him. And it, it worked for a while, but um, I just don't know at what point um, he's going to be able to break through it. At some point, it might be weighing on him. And uh, although it, it definitely looks like the Toyotas are, are starting to pick their steam back up. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, you know, um, so Kyle didn't lose today on talent and he didn't lose because of the car. He lost simply because they made a decision, right? And I think, you know, my personal opinion, looking from, you know, a million miles away from Kyle Busch, I don't know him at all, but that's that's the worst, right? I didn't do anything wrong. The car was great, and we still lost. And I think that's the kind of thing that takes a, a hyper-competitive person like Kyle Busch into a really dark place mentally. So... I'm not a fan. I don't like his antics, um, but I appreciate the talent. I appreciate like the skill that that team, the the, the Gibbs Toyotas in particular, have have shown on the track. Um, that's a that's just super frustrating. I, I feel sorry for the guy, uh, Junior Nation. I I'm sorry for that, but um, I think the guy deserved a better result than he got. He finished ninth. That's not where Kyle Busch ran. I mean, best car all day long. Didn't deserve a ninth. Um, his team let him down, plain and simple. So uh, let's circle back for a minute here because I, I forgot to follow up on this earlier. You were talking about, um, speaking of Junior Nation, that you know the 10 drivers he mentioned, you said that Blaney may have earned himself some fans today for junior fans who are looking for a new guy. Um, where do you stand as far as things for next year? You've been a junior supporter. What, what direction are you looking to go at this time? It's definitely going to be a young guy, but I'm not going to make any decisions anytime soon. Um, so for me, there's it's a combination of things. Um, I, I So a part of the reason that I'm a Dale Jr. fan, now, now keep in mind, I grew up in North Carolina, even though I live in Portland now, um, but I wasn't a NASCAR fan growing up. All my friends were NASCAR fans, and usually in one camp or the other, either Dale Sr. or Jeff Gordon, right? Um, and there were some fist fights over that in high school, by the way. But um, I came, I was a Formula One fan. So I grew up in the mountains, North Carolina, and we had curvy roads and we were known to maybe race a little bit on those things. And so um, I came to NASCAR when Juan Pablo Montoya came over from Formula One. Uh, and I was 100% convinced that he was going to come over here and show these boys what racing was all about. And we all know how that worked out. So um, Dale Jr., I became a Dale Jr. fan primarily with that win after 9-11. Um, I'm a military veteran. Um, you know, country's very important to me. And so that was my, you know, catalyst moment where I think I'm, I'm going to follow this guy. Uh, and, and that was, I know that was before Montoya came over, but it was also the moment when, you know, I really started to pay attention to NASCAR. And, and then, um, you know, then I just got to see him on TV and he reminded me of every dude I grew up with in North Carolina, right? Like, just salt of the earth guy next door dude I would play football with or something like that or soccer in his case I guess but um so I think that's what I'm looking for going forward um I think there's some great candidates out there personality wise you got Blaney Chase Elliott I mean gosh what you know couldn't ask for more than that kid Kyle Larson is awesome if he can if you know if he'll stop using up his stuff and you got Bubba Wallace, you know, it was great to see him get a, um, a start in cup. I think he's a fantastic personality. Uh, I wish he would stop wrecking stuff, but, um, I love you Bubba, but stop wrecking cars. Um, so I, I'm not sure yet. And, and you know, well, I th if I can just interject here, I think part of your dilemma is that, so, you know, a lot of these guys that came up before, um, whether it's Dale Jr. or Tony Stewart, 
you know, they, they have backstories. They had, they did other things growing up in addition to what they do, uh, what they end up doing for their career. And I think one problem that, that fans face now is that these drivers that are coming up, you're, you're trying to seize or you're trying to grab onto some personality or something and say, yeah, you know, this guy did this and he's, he is a hard worker and he came up this way. But really all these guys all pretty much started racing when they were five years old. And that's their backstory. They raced from the time they were young every single weekend until they made it with an eye on never doing anything but racing. And so when you try to say, well, what are your other hobbies? What do you like to do? What are your interests? I, I just race. That's all they ever do. That's all they care about. So it's hard for fans to say, to relate to that because that's not the experience that the NASCAR fan typically has. They might like racing, but it's not everything. And, you know, you, you don't have the guy like Dale Jr. who was a dealership service mechanic or even Denny Hamlin was a, a subway sandwich artist. Tow truck driver. Clint Boyer, yeah. Right? I mean, so you remember when uh, Joey Logano came into the sport and it was unprecedented that somebody would be 18 and potentially driving in cup because it's not anymore. Right. I mean, it's, you know, it's crazy how quick these Eric Jones and, you know, you know, Blaney, Bubba, all these guys, they're young. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, so we don't really get a chance to, to see what they do now. Social media has really changed a lot of that. Right. Um, so you get to see, I know Bubba plays some drums, Right. Uh, we know about Blaney being Dale's neighbor, thanks to that kind of stuff. So, you know, Chase Elliott likes to fly airplanes. So we get to see that kind of stuff. But yeah, I think you're right. It's um, it's harder to relate to these kids um, now than it was in the past, because a guy that's working in a factory 40 hours a week doesn't really have a lot in common with, you know, Chase Elliott or, or Ryan Blaney, who's come up through basically racing their whole lives and not really, you know, doing the other things that, that normal people do on a, on a regular basis. Um, let's talk about your background for a little bit now that we've got into this, because, um, people might still be wondering who exactly you are, why I came to your house, um, all that stuff. So obviously there's not too many people, um, here in Portland who like NASCAR, although I have to say I've gotten a fair number of people since I said I was moving here who indicate a, a like for NASCAR or who follow it. And they seem to like, I mean, there's maybe like, I don't know, a dozen people who follow me on Twitter who live here. So, um, it sounds like it's few and far between though. Am I, am I going to have a hard time finding people in Portland and what, what ended up getting you here? Well, work got me here, my career, but, but keep in mind, we are right now at this very moment in Greg Biffle's hometown. So, um, Vancouver, Washington, shout out. Yeah, Van Tucky. So um, I think there are some NASCAR fans outside of the the Portland Metroplex, right? When you get into the the more rural areas of Oregon and, you know, every now and then I listen to, you know, NASCAR radio or something like that. And I hear people call in from from out this way. I don't think that um, there aren't fans here. I think that's just the, you know, population density, not so much, right? I mean, we live in a 4 million person, you know, Metroplex and, uh, probably less than one-tenth of one percent of those are NASCAR fans, right? Uh, Portland, Portland's not necessarily known for, uh, you know, that. However, what I will say is there is a great group of race fans here. So for a long time, we had a kart race here at, um, you know, Portland International Raceway. We've got a great road course here, which, you know, if they widened it out and put some grandstands in NASCAR, you could come up here and take a look at it. But um, 
so I think there's a lot of fans, you know, Casey Kane is from up the road in Enumclaw, which is, you know, two hours away from where I live right now. So there's plenty of race fans here. And as a matter of fact, there's really good short track racing around here. Good dirt track racing. So, um, there's lots of race fans, but you in Portland itself probably expect some funny looks when you tell them what you do for a living. Uh, however, once you get outside of there, there's a lot of good, solid race fans around here. So you were in the army, is that correct? Yes, I was, uh, 20 years ago. And how long did you serve? Uh, five years. And what was your primary role in the army? (laughs) Uh, I was a linguist. Um, so I don't know, not, it's not a super sexy job, just signals, intercept, interrogations, things like that. I think that's pretty cool though. Cause you were telling me earlier, I mean, how, how many languages did you speak at, at the time? Well, yeah, when I was 20 years old, I spoke, uh, four languages. Now that I'm 44 years old, I speak English barely, passably, sort of. I think, I think you could still get by with it. I, I have a feeling. Um, so around here, you know, um, when you tell people that you're a NASCAR fan or do you tell people that you said, I'm going to get weird looks. I mean, do you, you, uh, to find anybody to talk racing with at all? Nope. Not really. Uh, although since you tweeted some folks out that you were coming to my house, I've got a bunch of followers now from Camus and some other places, which are right around here. So I guess I'll have some folks to talk to. Um, you get the, the look that my wife gives me every time I turn the NASCAR race on my wife's from the West coast folks. And it's like redneck hillbilly stereotype type of stuff, right? Um, there's a lack of appreciation for it in a lot of ways. However, um, every now and then I'll run into somebody that's also a motorsports fan, maybe not a NASCAR fan. And, you know, I'm, I'm a motorsports fan first. I love formula one. I watch IndyCar every chance I get. I'm not so much on the motorcycles, but I like lots of motorsports. So, you know, maybe not NASCAR fans, but motorsports fans. And then we can, we have a lot that we can talk about at that point. Well, one thing that uh, I need to talk to people about before we go is the podcast sponsor, Samtech. Uh, on my previous road trip, not the one where I just drove to Portland, but on the one from Albuquerque to Charlotte, uh, I stopped at Samtech, which is in Houston with my wife, Sarah, and um, really impressive facility because they know how to build things where um, I, I imagine the brakes would last longer than they did today. They wouldn't have that problem because they have CNC machine tools there. They teach their students how to, you know, use the machine tools, you know, like Haas CNC machine tools. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm very familiar with it. I I work in the technology business. So CNC and and computer, um, uh, equipment are very closely coupled. And that's one thing that was interesting because they were saying that, you know, it's, it's basically a high performance racing school or, you know, they could teach people how to be on race teams, but a lot of people come there, they end up learning how to use these machine tools and they can go to other industries like even aerospace and stuff like that, because that kind of skills translates anywhere, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I I think if you're out there right now and you're looking for your career path and maybe the white collar stuff is not for you and it's not for everybody, there's some really great career choices and, and, you know, high paying jobs involved with CNC. I mean, it's a, it's a demand, it's a skill in demand throughout the world, frankly. Um, CNC has really taken over manufacturing in a lot of ways, 3d printing, which also dovetails with the things that Samtech does. So, you know, uh, 
for those of you out there that are kind of thinking about what you want to do career wise, this is the kind of stuff you really should go after right now. Right. If you don't want that white collar, I need a four year college degree, master's degree or whatever to be successful in life. These are the kind of, this is the modern blue collar job, right? Justin, I can't believe this. You're helping me with my podcast sponsor plug and you have a salmon sitting right over here, fresh salmon uh, wrapped in paper. So we're going to enjoy a dinner after we do the podcast, I, I'm assuming. I'm assuming that, that I can have some of those. Yeah, absolutely. So we have what we have is a fresh five-pound Copper River salmon. This is a, a river in Alaska. So one of the great things about living in the Pacific Northwest is that you get really fresh salmon. And this particular salmon is uh, the the best salmon that comes in the world. I'm going to go ahead and state that. Wild from uh, the river of Alaska. And we get it within 24 hours of it being caught. And so we have a whole one there and we're going to fillet it up and uh, introduce Jeff to some of the Pacific Northwest cuisine. Well, before we do that, we need a hashtag to talk about the podcast. Now, um, I'll, I'll let you think of that for a minute. I just want to reiterate how strange this whole situation is. I called you like less than 24 hours ago to show up at your house. We'd never met to watch the race. I pulled my moving truck literally into your driveway. <laughs> And you had snacks and now helping with my podcast so that I didn't have to do it by myself. And we have salmon. Very nice. I feel very warm welcome to the Pacific Northwest. So can you um, top off the experience by suggesting a possible hashtag so people can talk about the, this podcast? Oh, my gosh. That's like the hardest part of this whole process. Like snacks, that's easy. Uh, snacks on 24 hours notice, super easy. Hashtags, wow. Um, I think that's a good one right there. Hashtag snacks, that's easy. <laughs> Perfect. I'm, oh, let's go with that because I got nothing better than that right now. <laughs> See, that was his response. You know, I, I call him up, stranger. Hey, can I come to your house, watch the race? Hashtag snacks. That's easy. So, <laughs> well, you know what? I, I am a Southern boy at heart, right? And Southern hospitality is, is, is universal, whether I live in the Pacific Northwest. So, you know, any of y'all are welcome anytime, right? Just don't leave mud on the carpet. That's all I ask. All right. Well, thank you, Justin, for helping me. Um, for the rest of you, the next podcast will be coming to you from my apartment. Once I move in Monday, we should be all settled in. So Wednesday, there'll be a 12 questions with, uh, Michael McDowell, who had a pretty good run going at Pocono until something happened at the end. Uh, it seemed to be unclear, but I guess he finished on the lead lap, the last car. And then, um, Thursday will be a social spotlight with the guy who was the victory lane interviewer at today's race, Brad Kozlowski. So that was a lot of fun. And uh, thanks again to Justin for all his hospitality and help with the podcast. And uh, I will talk to you next time on the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast. <laughs>